Is your heart beating? Amazing. Amazing man. Some of you may know that there is a, uh, a new billboard that went up near downtown um, with his mural on it. And the artist is a Whitworth professor named Jesse Pierpoint. And he painted that mural as his interpretation of legacy. Mandela certainly left a legacy, didn't he? One that had the price tag of 27 years in prison. Although Mandela's legacy is a powerful story. It's powerful because it's, it's great triumph on the heels of great trial. And, and we like to celebrate Mandela's story, right? Because we know he was released from prison. We know the end of the, the, end of the story, and it inspires us. But what happens when our legacy has yet to be played out? When we are stuck in the trials and the suffering with no end, no light at the end of the tunnel, when everything goes all wrong. Today we're going to continue working through our story of Joseph, and we're going to explore his approach to some pretty dark times, because there's a lot to be gleaned from this young man, a lot that can help us when pain and trial come our way. Well, we left off Joseph's story last week with Potiphar's wife kind of faking a freak, right? She is a little miffed that her seduction attempts on Joseph didn't work. On the outside, she's accusing him of a pretty atrocious, atrocious crime, and she's holding his cloak as her proof. So this is what Potiphar comes home to, that, uh, that uh, his wife was accusing his favored slave of trying to have his way with her. And, you know, we don't know if Potiphar's the crunchiest chip in the bag when you look at his household, but we do know that he's not entirely stupid, right? He knows that he has to defend his wife's honor. So Genesis 39, 20 tells us how he did that. It says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Now, this wasn't just any prison. I want to kind of paint a quick picture for you of what this might have been like for Joseph. This was the worst prison that Potiphar could have chosen. It was the king's prison. Ancient manuscripts indicate that it was most likely underground, carved out of the earth. So you would have entered the prison from a hole in the top. And as you descended, the air would have become still, probably pretty rank, probably would have stank of diseased bodies and rat dung and death and all the filth, right? It would have been dark. The most secure prisons often allowed no light, enhancing the, the psychological torture of a prison sentence. Scripture tells us in Psalm 105 that Joseph was fitted with an iron collar around his neck and fetters, which are kind of like iron cuffs, around his ankles. So I wanna, want you to imagine that for a moment. Imagine being fitted with a 10 to 15 pound iron collar around your neck, one in which you ate, slept, moved around. Over time, your sweat would cause that iron to rust and rub against your skin, which would cause perpetual sores. The food that was reserved for prisoners was less than half of what was reserved for slaves, so the lack of nutrition would just compound the effect of those sores. Your prisoner cell would have had no bunk in which to get off the floor and away from the filth and the rats. Oftentimes, prisoners just wrapped themselves in their cloaks. That's all they had to cover them. But wait a minute. Where's Joseph's cloak? Joseph's cloak's back at Potiphar's house in the clutches of the woman who was falsely accusing him. This is where we find Joseph in our story today. Isolated, in the dark, shackled in iron, half-naked, falsely accused, thrown into incredibly miserable conditions. 
For the second time in his life, Joseph had fallen from the height of favor into the depths of depravity, and none of it by his own doing. Ever done all the right things and still found yourselves on the wrong side of the prison door? Maybe it wasn't an actual physical prison with rock walls like Mandela and Joseph experienced. But every one of us in this room, everyone has suffered some kind of injustice. Some of them, or some of us in this room, have suffered injustices that are mind-boggling. We've been thrown into similar prisons, and we walk around even now with our own iron collars weighing us down. Maybe you were the faithful employee thrown into a financial prison by the poor choices of a business partner, and you now wear the iron collar of debt. Maybe you were the little boy or the little girl thrown into a prison of sexual abuse by a, a parent or a neighbor, and you now struggle under the collar of emotional turmoil. Maybe you were the person exploring faith, coming regularly. What is this walk with God all about? Only to discover that prison of disbelief because of the loss of your loved one. Now you just go through the motions and, and your anger is your iron collar. Maybe your Potiphar was a distracted driver. The cigarettes who used to that you used to love, the lawsuit. See, the list of Potiphar's prisons and iron, <laughs> iron collars in our lives is infinite, but they all have one thing in common, pain, right? Joseph discovered, as so many of us have discovered, that there is pain in prison. And pain is one of the most prevalent reasons that people walk away from God. People who are otherwise open to the idea of God will often reject him on the basis of pain. It becomes the easy response. Think about it. People don't reject God on the basis of any other emotion, right? Pleasure, no. Confusion, boredom, not even fear, but pain will do it. Pain will do it because it's in our pain that we pass God on, or we pass judgment on God's character. And we assume that a loving God would never allow this to happen. We allow the world to convince us that although there is sin and evil, disease and death in this life, that somehow we should be immune. We cry, why me, God? When the questions that we should really be asking are, God, where are you? I'm suffering here. Am I doing this all by myself? There was a time a while ago where I was feeling this kind of pain and isolation. I'd been working through some junk from my past, and, and in the middle of that period of time, our family actually went on vacation a week at the lake with some friends, and I, I took a morning to sit on the beach and work through um, a little further through a book that was helping me process some of the events that were painful from my childhood. And uh, so while I was sitting there, the dads and the kids were all in the water. Um, I came to the end of a particularly hard chapter, and the despair rose up pretty heavy in me, and I, I wanted to escape. I needed to find somebody, some place to process by myself. Yes, process is code word for cry. So I grabbed an inner tube that was sitting there, and I kicked out a ways from the shore and just hung there and, and looked out at the lake and tried to get a handle on the pain that was inside. And while I was floating there, I had this random thought pop into my head, and it said, just let go. I, I thought somebody maybe had yelled that from the beach. I turned around. Nobody was even looking my way. Nobody even knew I was out there. So I turned back to the lake, and I heard it again. It was almost audible. It said, let go of the tube, and it'll be all over. It won't hurt anymore. You don't need this kind of pain. Let go. 
No one's watching. You could just drop to the bottom of the lake and the pain would end. Just let go. I hate to tell you how close I was. I began to dream and contemplate about what that would be like just to drift away and let it all end, to be free of the emotional prison I was in. As the temptation to end my pain my way grew, I suddenly heard a a real audible voice right behind me. And it said, thinking of letting go, whoa. I whipped around and there was my friend Shauna. She'd floated out to me on, on her own inner tube and she later told me that she'd been sitting on the beach watching me and the Holy Spirit had prompted her, said, she's in trouble, get out there. And then when she got to me, she said the only words that came to mind, having no idea that those were the words that were my greatest temptation at the moment. There is not another phrase in the world that Shauna could have spoken that would have had the calming effect that that had on me because in those words, in that moment, God used my friend to convey a message to me that said, I see you, I see you, and I know it hurts, but I understand your pain and you're not alone. Don't let go. Maybe you're tempted in your own prison right now to let go. Life's hard. Dang, it can get so ugly sometimes, and it would be just so much easier to let go, let go of your marriage, let go of your responsibilities, maybe even let go of your own life. I believe God would say to you this morning, I see you. I see you. I understand your pain. You are not alone. Don't let go. The injustices we suffer don't go unnoticed by our Heavenly Father. In fact, he speaks about them in Scripture. In 1 Peter 2, here's what it says. It says, what counts is this, that you put up with it for God's sake when you're treated badly for no good reason. Don't tune me out. I know that's a hard sentence. There's good here, though. It says, there's no particular virtue in accepting punishment that you well deserve. But if you're treated badly for good behavior and continue in spite of it to be a good servant, that is what counts with God. This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so that you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong, not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry our sins to the cross so we could be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. Christ suffered for us. He walked in our footsteps. He has suffered injustice. He has suffered pain and betrayal, the brutality and stupidity of people's actions. He's been spit upon, stripped naked, beaten, pierced, tortured, mocked, and hung on a cross. Jesus knows pain, and he, more than anyone else, understands the pain of your prison. Jesus is the reason you don't have to let go, the reason we can hang on, because we don't suffer alone. Jesus suffered for us. He died on that cross so that everyone who calls on on his name may be saved. He suffered for us, but he also suffers with us. And this is what we see in Joseph's story. Genesis 39.20 says, But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything done under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph 
and gave him success in whatever he did. The Lord was with Joseph. Some of you may be asking yourselves, what does that look like? I mean, really, the Lord was with Joseph. Sure, he showed him some kindness in some pretty horrible circumstances, but he was still in prison, still had an iron collar on while the Lord was with him. What's up with that? So I want to take this from a little different direction. I want to explore this God who was with Joseph. See, Scripture tells us that he is a God of love. It actually tells us that God is love. And 1 Corinthians tells us how God loves. In 1 Corinthians 13, many of you may recognize these verses. It tells us that God love, or God's love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. And right there, I'm going to pause. Because always protects doesn't line up with what was happening with Joseph. In fact, always protects doesn't line up with the reality of cancer, of Alzheimer's, of shootings in schools and theaters. It doesn't line up with shootings in hospitals here. In fact, always protects does not always line up with our experiences on this earth until we go a little deeper. Back to the original word for protects. It's the Aramaic word that the Apostle Paul originally used when he wrote these, these verses, and that word is stego. Here's what it means. Stego means to cover over, to endure patiently, to suffer with. This means that love always covers over, endures patiently, always suffers with us. God always covers over, always endures patiently with us, always suffers with us. See, God is not standing there with his arms crossed directing what's happening as you're being hurt. And he's also not standing there aloof and uncaring. God is suffering with us. God is entering into our suffering with us. He feels what we feel. He's experiencing what we experience. He's suffering with us. It doesn't mean that he will always rescue us out of a tragic situation, but he will always deliver us through it, always. Suffering with us, crying with us, strengthening us, enabling us to endure the unthinkable as he endured the unthinkable on the cross. This is the kind of with that Joseph experienced. God suffered with Joseph, but he also gave him purpose in the midst of that suffering. See, a short time after his imprisonment, Joseph was given an assignment. It seemed that Pharaoh's chief cupbearer had made a mistake. I don't know, maybe he tripped and dumped his wine in Pharaoh's lap. Maybe he, uh, maybe he spit in Pharaoh's cup and got caught. We don't know what happened, but he landed himself in prison and right next to the chief baker. And Joseph is assigned as their personal attendant. And one morning, Joseph comes into his two wards and he sees something different. There's a lack of joy on their faces as they're slurping their slop. So Joseph calls them on it and says, what's up? Guys, why the long faces? And here's what they reply in Genesis 40. They say, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Here he is in prison, okay? He may or may, may not be sporting his 10-pound necklace. He's probably still half-naked. I would bet he's hungry. Yet Joseph notices someone else. 
He cares enough to comment on their countenance and then give them an opportunity to process their junk. This is God with Joseph, tangibly with him, taking his eyes off of his own pain and giving him purpose, giving him a work to do in the middle of his own suffering. That's one of the ways that we can know that God is with us when it's painful as well. He brings people into our present, even when our present is broken. People who need the care, the love, and the support that only we can give. We need to make sure that we don't become so blinded by our painful circumstances that we miss the people, the purposes that God places right in front of us. So God was with Joseph, and what comes next in his story only confirmed that truth. See, following Joseph's invitation, there is a candid retelling of their dreams. The cupbearer relates a dream that involved a vine and three branches that budded and blossomed and ripened into grapes. So he takes those grapes and he squeezes them into Pharaoh's cup and sets Pharaoh's cup back in his hand. Joseph's interpretation for the cupbearer, dude, you're golden. You're getting out of here. In three days, you're going to be restored to your position and put the cup back in Pharaoh's hand. Can you imagine the cupbearer? Like, yes, three days is doable, right? And I wonder if it's in, in his excitement, that he skipped right by what Joseph said next. Genesis 40, 14. It says, but when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joseph very much despised the injustice and brutality that had been forced upon him. I got to tell you, his honesty and his plea to the cupbearer here is refreshing to me. Because in those verses, this passage, or in that passage, Joseph comes alive. He becomes an ordinary guy enduring some horrific circumstances, clinging to his God, but hoping against hope that somehow, someday, all of this is going to be over. So hearing the great news that Joseph gave the cupbearer, the baker decides to jump on the bandwagon and share his dream. And that depicts him wearing three baskets of bread up on his head, bread that was meant for Pharaoh, although there were all these birds eating the bread out of the baskets. Joseph's inter interpretation for the baker, dude, you're toast. In three days, Pharaoh's going to let you out of prison, but he's going to lift off your head and hang you on a tree where those birds are going to feast on you. Had to feel a bit like a kidney punch to the baker, but here's how we know that Joseph isn't just blowing smoke, that he really does hear the interpretation from God. It all comes true. Genesis 40, 20 says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hands. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. God's presence with Joseph was so obvious. Yet as we come to the end of the story, I don't know about you, but everything in me wants to cry, foul, wait a minute, whoa, go back. That's not cool. I mean, Joseph ministered to the cupbearer, even though he himself had gotten on the short end of the stick. He poured out of himself, and the, and the cupbearer forgets him? That's not fair. We like to say that a lot, don't we? It's not fair that I got forgotten. It's not fair that I was neglected or that I was passed over. It's one of America's favorite sayings. But Patsy Claremont is one of my favorite little speakers, and she has a saying of her own. She says, fair's not in the Bible. 
It's not. Fair is a place that you go to get cotton candy and ride the Ferris wheel. Okay? You know what is in, in the Bible? Justice. Justice is in the Bible, and our God is a God of justice. Psalm 103.6 says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. We don't see justice in Joseph's story yet, but we can anticipate it. We can see it coming as we realize all the ways God was with Joseph in his suffering. He was working to bring Joseph favor with the warden. He was giving purpose in the form of the baker and the cupbearer. He was speaking to Joseph through the interpretations of the dreams. God was with Joseph in very real ways throughout some really hard times of suffering, just as he is with us in our pain as well. But I know that that sounds foreign to some of you. You can't even imagine what it would feel like to have God with you, to know his presence, or maybe even what good it would do you. You'd probably rather that I just tell you it's all going to be okay. I wish I could. I would love to tell you that she's going to come back to you and the kids. I would love to tell you that your PET scan's going to come back clean, that this pregnancy will carry all the way through, and you'll hold a baby in your arms someday, that he won't hurt you anymore. I'd love to tell you all that, but I can't. I can't because the fact is that we live in a fallen world where people hurt each other, where disease and divorce and deception destroy us. There is no recipe or guarantee that will make it all just go away. But what I can tell you is that you have a God. You have a God who is all-powerful, who is eternal, who is everlasting, who loves you, and he is a God of love and justice, and he wants you to experience his presence. He wants you to draw on the comfort he has to give you, to draw on his strength, to give you the hope he wants to give you if you'll position yourselves to receive it from him. Take a look at how Joseph did this. He positioned himself to experience God by giving God glory. You know, in this whole story, the only phrase that we hear Joseph give the only time we hear him speak in the entire story is when he reveals unequivocally where his faith lay, right? When the baker and the cupbearer said, oh, there's nobody to interpret our dreams, he says, God is the interpreter of dreams. He declares God's divinity and his trust in God in that one phrase. We can experience God. We can experience his presence in our pain when we do the same, when we declare our faith in God. We're to place our faith and trust in him, and then we're to talk about it boldly. It's so hard to see God in the midst of our circumstances when we're giving the enemy all the glory for oppressing us, right? When the only things that we focus our attention on and the only things we talk about are how bad it hurts, we won't be able to see him. It hurts. He knows. He knows. But our words have more power than we realize. Our words have power to draw us down, into the muck and the mire, or to lift our spirits towards God. We can make a conscious choice to trust God and then tell him that. It's as simple as those words, I trust you, Lord. Pepper your speech with words that tell others where your faith is. That doesn't diminish your pain. That's not what I'm saying. But it can lift you out of it. Because it's in those declarations that we can experience God with us. Joseph chose to glorify God, and he also chose to listen to him. You remember that Joseph accurately interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker? Well, there's 
No way that he could have accurately interpreted those unless he had been listening to the interpreter. He listened to God, and God confirmed everything he told Joseph. It's very hard for us to hear from God when we draw away from him and tune him out. You know, the most important times for us to sit attentively at the feet of Jesus are when life hurts the most. When chaos and pain come our way, setting our Bible aside and avoiding any prayer time with the Lord only separates us from the one, from the very source who can calm the storm. Instead, we need to position ourselves to hear from God. We do that when we pray. We do that when we crack open our Bible. By pressing into those disciplines, we place ourselves in a, in a position of submission to the one who's ultimately in control of our circumstances anyway. Listen to him. God speaks to us in a myriad of ways. Sometimes it's a still small voice inside. Sometimes it's an impression or a thought that lines up with the heart of God. God speaks to me through scripture, through worship songs. Soak yourself in God's word and open yourself up to hear from him. And finally, like Joseph, we can experience God's presence in our suffering when we recognize the purposes he places before us. See, there is purpose in all we go through. We don't like to say that, but there is purpose. It's not God's goal to hurt us. He is the God of love and justice. He is not attacking us, but he may allow us to suffer for a while. He always has purpose in that. He always has a work for us in the midst of it. Joseph discovered this as God placed the cupbearer and the baker before him. Who has God placed before you? Maybe your kids? Maybe clients, maybe your spouse, nurses, caregivers. Who has God placed before you? Because you have an ability, you have an extraordinary opportunity to impact people for Christ when you pour out on them despite your suffering. That stands out. That is not the norm. It stands out when we pour out, even when we're hurting. You have the opportunity to turn your tragedy into a testimony of God's goodness to leave a Mandela-sized legacy if you will allow God to work and if you will allow him to reveal his purposes even when it's painful. You know, our interpretations of, of pain and suffering are all pretty relative to our own understanding of what suffering is. My oldest son went through last year on a basketball team that didn't win one game the entire season. It was a tough one, huh, buddy? He would tell you that he suffered a lot <laughs> last season. There were a lot of times that my husband and I would, would tell Reed, um, buddy, God's building your character. And we would quote from uh, Romans 5, 3 to him, which says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And I, I realized the day that Reed was really sick of hearing that verse when he says, mom, I have character coming out of my ears. I just want to win a basketball game. You may feel like you've persevered enough, like you have character coming out of your ears. So I want to leave you with this. God is molding in each of us an ability to hope in him. Not in a game victory, not in your spouse's response, the doctor's analysis, the law, not even in somebody who can come alongside you and has walked in your shoes, can identify in your, with your pain. Uh-uh, those are all temporary. God is molding in each of us drawing us 
through our suffering, molding us into a people who place 100% of our hope and our dependence in him, the eternal, everlasting God. A people who look for him, even when it hurts, who listen for him, pay attention to what he's saying, and who find their purposes through him, no matter what the day brings. Let's endeavor to be that kind of people. Will you pray with me? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just bow your heads for a minute. And I realize that there are people in this room who want to trust in God, but they don't have a relationship yet. And you need a starting point. So I want to give you an opportunity for a starting point. Those who accept Jesus as Lord and Savior have the privilege of Jesus living inside of them through the Holy Spirit. So if that's you, you want the power of the Holy Spirit living in your life. You want to experience God with you, in you, through you. I'm going to ask you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed just to say this prayer right where you're at. Jesus, I love you. I recognize that I haven't done it all right, that I've been trying to do it on my own. But I need your help. I want to surrender my life to you, Jesus. So I recognize that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross to save me, that you rose again on the third day, that you're seated at the right hand of God. I recognize, Jesus, that you are my Savior, and I say yes to you. I accept you as my Lord today. Come and live in my life and bring the comfort I need, the strength I need, the boldness I need to tell people about you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed? If that was a first for you, if you said yes to Jesus and this was a first, I'm gonna ask you to just raise your hand right where you're at, lift your head and look at me. I can agree with you in prayer. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I see you. I see you. Thank you, Lord. Anybody else, if you prayed that prayer for the very first time today? Well, thank you, Lord. The rest of us, I'm going to ask us to do something, get out of our comfort zone a little bit. Just right where you're sitting, you don't have to get out of your seat. Just open your hands, palms up. And in doing this, you're going to say, Lord, I surrender. This is, this is a sign of you surrendering the pain or whatever you're going through, your circumstances to the Lord. And I'm going to ask you to say these words out loud with me. I trust you, Lord. Go ahead. I trust you, Lord. Lord, we trust you. This life is not easy, but we declare our faith and our trust is in you, the everlasting God. We can't live this life without you. We don't want to live this life without you. So we give you what's in our hands. These broken lives. They're not broken today. They may be broken tomorrow. But we give it to you, Lord. And we ask that in our hands you place everything that you have for us. Your presence, your comfort, your strength, your hope, and the purpose. Open our eyes to you and the purposes that you've set before us. And we will always, ever give you praise. In Jesus' name.